Hi there, House Culture listener. If you enjoy this episode or have enjoyed listening to other episodes in our series, please support and donate to us through the Acast Supporter feature. All donations will help us create the content that you love listening to. You can decide how much you give and there is no regular commitment. So it could be a one-off and every now and then or once every time you listen. It's really up to you. Click on the supporter link in the episode description and with Google or Apple Pay, it will take you less than 30 seconds to make your contribution. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey everyone, it's lovely Laura here and you are listening to the House Culture Podcast. House Culture. Hello everybody and welcome to another episode in the third season of our House Culture Podcast, hosted by me, the managing editor of House Culture, Matt Rouse. I hope that wherever you are listening in the world right now, you are staying safe, remaining positive and looking forward to hopefully getting your dance floor groove on very soon. Thanks for tuning in today. And if it's your first time here, welcome. We are House Culture, a collective of house music fans who have come together through their mutual love of the beat to celebrate the spirit of house music. Not only can you enjoy our daily output of positive vibes on Instagram at housecultureNet, you can also dig into our hefty back catalogue of previous guests on the podcast. I'm talking about iconic DJs such as Fatboy Slim, David Morales and Danny Tanaglia, as well as leaders of the new school of talent like Alan Fitzpatrick, Anya Schneider and Josh Butler. Whatever your era is, we've got you covered. But our conversations don't just stop there. As we are house culture, we like to investigate every element of the scene. And that is why we have also spoken to people like Mania Mission founding member and Pikes Hotel creative director Dawn Hindle, party starting percussionist Bongo Ben, and one half of the legendary house music outfit, a man called Adam, Sally Rogers. Honestly, if you don't recognise the name, have a listen, as we handpick all of our guests to make sure they have a fascinating story to tell. Now, are you ready for this one? You might have seen the viral videos, you may have heard her on some house music bangers, you might also have even been lucky enough to witness her play live. She brings the good time vibe whenever she appears on stage and never fails to entertain. It is, of course, the one and only lovely Laura. In this conversation, you'll hear how a chance meeting with a fellow musician led to a wild first trip to the White Isle. It turned out this guy was Pav. He said, um, I've spoken to the Manny Mission guys. You can get up and have a play with me on the stage. I do remember getting up on the stage 
and my jaw just hitting the floor. I saw things that night that I was like, wow, <laughs> this is crazy. How a one-off event led to the formation of one of the most enduring duos in the scene. It was a private event at a villa party in Ibiza and they said, look, Ben, you could play and, and Laura, if you could just play some saxophone. And it really worked. That was the beginning where we thought, gosh, we could do this together. And you'll hear Laura's thoughts about performing live and our hopes for the future. There is nothing like being in the room with the crowd and high-fiving them and seeing the joy on their faces and seeing them smile, seeing them laugh, seeing them cry sometimes, singing at the top of their voices, arms in the air. I really can't wait for that to come back. Recorded live and direct from our base in Ibiza, I really hope you enjoy this one. This is Lovely Laura. House Culture Hi, Laura. Thanks so much for sitting down with us on the podcast today. It's been a long time coming, but hopefully <laughs> we can have a chat that's as full as the positive energy as one of your live sets. Uh, you're a sax Aww. sensation who has played to hundreds of thousands of club goers the world over. And working alongside your husband, DJ Ben Santiago, you form a dynamic duo that is truly unique within the scene. However, Let's start at the beginning and growing up in Dorset, how would you say you first discovered music, any music there when you were growing up? Oh, um, rewind. (laughs) (laughs) I was actually quite fortunate. I grew up in quite a musical family from both sides. My mum's father was, he actually had a band during the war, like a, a big band, like a jazz band. So he was a pianist, which was great. So when I was a a little girl I used to go around and jam with him on the piano I mean obviously I didn't know I was jamming at the time but he would just encourage me to tinkle on the top and uh and that was great fun so I think I had that plus my parents well my dad's side my is very musical my dad actually plays the piano mm-hmm. and my his sister my auntie's also a she was like the organ organist in the church and mm-hmm. whatnot so yeah, it's, I was quite fortunate. It came from both sides. And my parents always listened to jazz. Um, okay. They love jazz. Frank Sinatra, Ella Fitzgerald, um, saxophonist, Dan Getz, Paul Desmond. Mm. So I grew up listening to jazz. That was pretty much, and, and I loved it. Apparently, yeah. my mum my says one of her first memories of me when she realised that music was going to probably be a part of my life was when I was listening to Ella Fitzgerald. Apparently, I was sat on the floor. I think I was only about four three or four she said and you were just in this trance she said you were sat on the floor and she said, you were doing this funny thing with your hands and your feet and she said we'd walk in front of you as or to go hello earth to laura she said and you just weren't there you were you were actually singing with ella it was almost like you were scatting with ella it was the most bizarre thing so um yeah so i think that was the first thing for me back with my i probably owe a lot to my parents because if it wasn't for them playing me all that wonderful music i I think probably my life would have been on a different career path, definitely. (laughs) I mean, yeah, incredible um, household to grow up in, to be, you know, have all of those musical influences. You said about pianists Mm. and things like that. Was that what you leaned towards kind of initially? What was your musical journey towards picking up a saxophone? 
It was piano to start with, because I think, I mean, I'm quite small anyway. I've got tiny hands. So I think anything else was was just not really considered back then. Um, and my parents thought, you know, maybe let's just put her in for some piano lessons and see how it goes, which I loved. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, started school, got into secondary school. Um, and then I was a bit bigger then. So I picked up the clarinet. Okay. By this point, I hadn't really thought too much about the saxophone. But when I was in the secondary school, there was a, as with all schools, you have the, the big band, the school band. And so I played clarinet in the band. But I always remember looking at the saxophonists and you could always hear them more than the clarinets. And I just remember thinking, I don't even know why I'm playing. Nobody can hear me back here. Like I just felt really <laughs> stuffed. And I'd, 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 I'd look at the saxophones and I'd hear the sound, that lovely wall of sound that they were playing, mm. thinking, I'd love to play one of those. And I remember mentioning it to my parents at the time, but they were like, look, you've got your piano, you've got your clarinet, you've got GCSEs coming up, like it's all too much. Um, so uh, so it just was kind of shelved a little bit, really. Mm. And it and 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 right so, because I did have so much on and I'm not the most academic person. I do have to work hard at things. It doesn't come easily. I think the only things that came a bit easy to me was my music and my art really I suppose mm-hmm. um which is interesting because that's where I went to after that I ended up going to art college not to music college initially oh, right, okay. um which was really down <laughs> to the careers advisor and also you know when you get those careers books at school yeah. and they you know you look up the job title and then it tells you what you need to do to to be that job and I remember looking up musician mm-hmm. and it just said this is really only for the creme de la creme. And I remember speaking to the careers advisor as well. And and really it was kind of almost, look, let's not look at that as a career choice. Let's move that to one side. Let's look at your art, you know, because with Mm -hmm. art, you could be a teacher, you can be a designer, you can, there's all these options. So I ended up going to art college, um, did a foundation course art and design, uh, got accepted on a degree course in Birmingham, a fashion degree course. I was there two days and I realized immediately I have made a massive mistake. Mm. I was just in this room with people I just had no connection with. And I just realized I thought I don't need, I mean, I love art, but I loved more of the, the texture design, the surface pattern and that kind of style of art as opposed to fashion. Mm -hmm. Um, But the course I ended up getting myself on was a more of a fashion orientated course. I mean, I love fashion, but I don't love it that much and I can't make clothes. I mean, really, it's just not my area of expertise (laughs) at all. Um, So I remember calling my mum actually on the second day at at uni and just saying, I don't know what I'm doing. And, Mm. And I actually broke down on the phone and she said, well, look, it's taken you <laughs> I mean, the patience that parents must have with children. You know, you do all these exams to get into the degree mm. course of your choice. And then mm-hmm. suddenly two days in your child phones, you're going, I don't know that I want to be here anymore. Uh, but bless her. She listened. She was very understanding. And she said, look, if you're really that unhappy, come home for a week, mm-hmm. really think about it, but also think about the options of what you're going to do if yeah. you decide to drop out of this course. Um, so that's what I did. I went back for a week. Well, no, actually, <laughs> sorry. Also on that phone call, she actually said to me, have you thought about what you're going to do mm-hmm. if if um, you, you chuck this course in? And I remember saying, well, you know what? I've always wanted to learn saxophone. I've always wanted to take up the saxophone. I mean, really, looking back at this conversation in hindsight, it must have been the most nuttiest conversation. My mum must have thought, my God, she's losing it. Like, yeah. where she get the saxophone from? Um, <laughs> but I don't know why. It just came out of the blue. But cut a very long story short, because I could waffle for ages about this part of my life. Um, 
I did go back home. I considered my options Mm -hmm. and I decided to chuck the degree course in and take up the saxophone. Um, And quite simply, it was the best thing I ever did. Uh, (laughs) I remember I remember getting these old jazz tapes and somehow I was able to record to cassette on this system I had. So I was able to play. um, I think I could play the jazz cassette on one side and then I could record myself playing to the jazz cassette on the other side on another cassette. And it was brilliant. Uh, mm-hmm. So I could hear back. I pretty much taught myself how to improvise with the jazz on these. Wow. These Well, I guess it's probably the the, the piano back mm. back when I was a child probably helped to give me a bit of a foundation with that, certainly musically. Yeah. Um, I mean, it wasn't good. And actually, I, I recently got my hands on those tapes. <laughs> I said to them, and actually in a few places, I'm like, ouch, it's like cringe. But, um, but anyway, from there... I got myself on an A-level music course and a jazz diploma course in Dorset at Weymouth Mm -hmm. College. And I was with such a great bunch of people. I had the most amazing lecturers. Um, And from there, I got myself into Leeds College of Music on the jazz degree. And then pretty much everything, yeah, took off from there. Yeah. So it's quite an interesting zigzag of a path (laughs) to get where I wanted to get to. For that two days, Mm. you know, just to be and then to make a real success of it. But yeah, God knows what was going through your your parents' mind when you're having that conversation. It's like, yeah, I just want to, I'm just going to quit this and learn the saxophone. But thank goodness you did. I mean, so from that point when you were at Leeds as well, was it like, okay, I'm going to have a serious career in music maybe towards the jazz spectrum yes definitely I I think that was the plan I I thought right I'll go and do my jazz degree in Leeds and then that would be three years and then the plan was actually to move to London um, and do the postgrad at the Guildhall and just pretty much try and get myself on the London jazz scene Mm -hmm. Um, that was kind of the big dream uh, but whilst I was at college, I ended up bumping into this guy in the bar. I think it was towards the end of my first year at college, a uh, New Zealand guy. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was a real character. He was quite avant-garde, quite wacky, quite way out there, not the usual muso. And uh, he had this little gig that he had. It was a weekly residency in this little bar in Leeds that he would just go and jam with his DJ. Anyway, just to put you in the picture, I ended up walking through the college bar one day and I went to get something and he was at the bar and he's like, hey, it was Drew his name. Mm. Hey, Laura, how's it going? Oh, good, blah, blah, blah. I was like, how are you? And he goes, actually, not great. I've got to go back to New Zealand. I can't stay here. Um, And we were just chatting for a bit and he went, such a shame. I've really started this little gig and it's just going really well and I'm going to have to get someone to do it. And then he looked at me and went, actually, maybe you would like to do it. Oh, well, what is it? He goes, pretty much I just turn up once a week and jam with this DJ who plays these old funk soul records. Mm-hmm. Um, it's great. You don't know what you're going to play to, but it's completely different. And and back then, I mean, I'm going back to, this would have been the end of 96, probably. Yeah. Maybe in 96. So I hadn't seen any of this. I mean, I was still just coming up in, I guess, just, just seeing how you use an instrument within a band mm-hmm. situation, not opposed to improvising with a DJ so I thought okay cool I'll come down and have a listen and see what it's about and I just (laughs) remember falling in love with it um I just the music Mm -hmm. the DJ was playing I was just melting pretty much um 
And I just remember saying, yeah, I'd love this gig. I'll give it to me. I'll, I, in fact, I'd pay you <laughs> to come down. <laughs> but obviously I was a student. I didn't have that sort of money then. And, yeah. and it was great. It was like 30 quid a week mm-hmm. um, just to go down there for two, three hours, have a jam with the DJ. Oh, it was brilliant. Um, and and I, I from there, that's where this love grew mm-hmm. of kind of jamming with DJs. And I think the whole improvisation, the creativity that you can make from that situation um and from there within a few weeks i think another bar owner came in and went oh i wouldn't mind you in my bar and then a club came in the club owner was like oh i wouldn't mind you in my club actually we do a week thing before i knew it, i had about two three residencies on the go which was amazing back then i mean especially when you're a student you've got no money so these little 20 30 quidders here and there are you know they're they're priceless <laughs> yeah yeah the the whole kind of improvisation thing it's a very kind of jazz aesthetic you know that just kind of vibing and just kind of you know creating something that's kind of on the fly and to bring yes. I suppose discovering that you could do that with this other music that you this new music that you were discovering as well and create yes. something new I suppose that was a really good feeling yeah I I, I think so I, I think it felt natural actually it just felt I felt in hugely in my comfort zone mm-hmm. is actually what I felt. Um, and the music I just loved. I mean, I love jazz as well, but I, but the soul and the real feeling I could get out with this soul music, I, I just loved. Um, yeah. And then from then it grew from funk, obviously into dance music. And really that's where, yeah, that's where it kind of all initially started. I think that's where I I first heard my the first Head Candy CD. I think the first Head Candy Back to Love CD was sort mm-hmm. of 99. Was mm-hmm. it something like that? It's around then, yeah, I think so. Around that time. Yeah. And I remember getting that. I think Jazz FM came to Leeds and they did like a little pop-up convention and they had just loads of CDs they were giving away. And I just picked up just a bunch of CDs. Like, oh, that's cool. That's cool. And I put this head candy one going, oh, wow. <laughs> I love this. This is great. And then I found out, oh, my God, they do parties. <laughs> that's incredible. <laughs> so, uh, uh, yeah, it's interesting how all these things lead. You, you have no idea, do you, no. back then? You're just kind of living every day. Mm-hmm. Uh, what, what throws itself in front of you? You do what you do, but you have no idea where eventually you're going to end up. It's, it's mad. But all these little things that you do are hugely instrumental in getting you to the final goal aren't they really and um i I suppose there was that crossroads there as well in terms of you know do you follow that jazz specific route or do you go down this potentially newer um more interesting route but you know it's a a new kind of thing there weren't that many people doing what Mm. you were doing at that point i suppose no there weren't i'd never seen it before i think there was a guy out in ibiza back then maybe doing it i can't remember his name now um, possibly, mm-hmm. but I mean, I didn't know anything about Ibiza then. I was really yeah. just in Leeds doing my thing, and I'm no doubt there was there was maybe some people doing it in London, but just th- at that point, I didn't know. But I think also it came down a little bit to money as well because I I remember I I drive from Leeds to Manchester or Leeds to wherever I do these really long drives on my jazz gigs for sort of like twenty quid. Mm-hmm. Um, and this wasn't that long more, and I say not that long ago. I mean, I'm, gosh, yeah, 15 years ago, something like that, 18 years ago. I can't remember when I left Leeds now, but I would I would be quite happy to drive across the Pennines one night to do a jazz gig for 20 quid. But then <laughs> I'd get off with these club gigs for 100 quid, and I'd think, 
hang on a minute, <laughs> this <laughs> this doesn't stack up. Yeah. I, I don't get it. Um, so eventually, when you're trying to make money and you're trying to earn a living, you do kind of also think, hang on, I think I need to maybe do more of these gigs and maybe less of these gigs. It was an interesting time, though, because I do remember when I got myself into this style of music, there there is all, always a bit of jazz snobbery within musicians and mm -hmm. certainly within students. And I and I always found a little bit, I felt like I was looked down upon a little bit for going down this route. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I didn't really care. I was I was the one, I was having a great time. I was earning loads of money and it was brilliant. And actually <laughs> I love what I'm doing because I love the music. Yeah. But you do, I think you get that with all genres of, of life, don't you? And certainly mm -hmm. with music, you have the people that really are the underground people or the, um, yeah, the, the extremely classical people that cannot, you know, listen or even comprehend anything else. And you do get that with jazzers as well. And mm -hmm. I did kind of get a little bit of snobbery at college about it, but I guess it, I don't know, it didn't mean really mean anything and it didn't really affect me because I just carried on what I was doing anyway. <laughs> Um, and thankfully it worked out. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And, you know, you'd said that you weren't really aware of Ibiza. You weren't really aware of that type of music at that stage. Mm. Like, How did that, you know, tell me about leading up towards Ibiza or your first journey there or just your, you know, your formative kind of clubbing experiences, you know, enjoying this new music that you discovered. I, when I had, I'd been invited to play a weekly residency not long after I'd got that first one in Leeds in a um it was a place called the underground in Leeds it was incredible uh, they had live bands there every day uh real good vibe of good music good funk music good soul good jazz just everything that I loved was in that club and I used to play there every Sunday afternoon between the two bands there was the afternoon band and then there was the evening band and then I would get up in between and sort of jam some stuff with the DJ on one Sunday there had been a band on in the afternoon and the drummer was packing down his things and he had some bits there he was bashing on <laughs> bits that he was bashing on <laughs> drummers will be rolling their eyes at me now bits that he was bashing on uh, <laughs> as he was packing stuff down he was kind of having a little tinker uh, and it sounded really cool. Anyway, th it turned out this guy was Pav. No way. Who ended up, yeah, mm -hmm. um, who obviously ended up doing what he did. Uh, but we were kind of like, wow, that kind of works, doesn't it? And the DJ was really digging it. And in the end, we said, look, why don't we, why don't you come and join us on Sundays? And we had this little trio thing going on. So that's how that whole percussion and sax thing started for me anyway. Yeah. Um, anyway, Pav loved it. He was, we ended up doing quite a lot of stuff together as a duo back then. Mm -hmm. um, and there happened to be one evening in Leeds, there was a gig and I couldn't make the gig. I think I had a jazz gig somewhere else. For some reason I couldn't make it, but Pav was on this gig. I wasn't. But anyway, <laughs> as it would happen, uh, the two Manumission brothers walked past mm -hmm. as he was playing and they stopped. And they were like, wow, we mm -hmm. love you. We love what you're doing. We'd love to fly you over and play Manumission in Ibiza. So cut a very long story short. Uh, that's exactly what Pav did. Every summer he would go over and and play. I think it was weekly or biweekly for mm -hmm. these guys. Anyway, he came back and he went, Laura, you've not seen anything <laughs> you have to get to Ibiza and I was like yeah 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 look, I've got loads going on here I haven't got time blah 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 and mm -hmm. and I think I had a boyfriend at the time that wasn't too keen on me doing what I was doing anyway it was just one of those friction type situations that mm -hmm. it was like look, look forget it like I, I can't do this in the end he said I've booked a flight 
I've booked you a flight, you're coming. And that's the end of it. Um, I've spoken to the manumission guys. You can get up and have a play with me on the stage. Uh, But you have to see this. So in the end, I went and I do remember getting up on the stage and my jaw just hitting the floor thinking, oh, my God, I have never, ever seen anything quite like this in my life. Mm -hmm. It was it was just my eyes were agog everywhere. And I was quite, I was a very naive, young, um, yeah, 20 something year old anyway, back then I was quite, I wasn't very worldly wise at all. Mm. I think that's probably the little Dorset village girl coming out of me. I, I kind of believed everything. And so, so I saw things that night that I, I was like, wow, <laughs> this is, this is crazy. Um, but, I, I remember, I was only, we were only there for like two, three days, mm-hmm. came back and uh, I just remember thinking, I think I'm going to have to go back there at some point. But it took five years before I did go back there. I ended up coming back and obviously life continued as it does with everyone where you are, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I think it was eventually, that's right, Pav ended up playing for Head Candy. He ended up meeting Mark Doyle, started doing gigs with the guys. Um, and then he would say to Mark, you need to check out this sax player. Like, she's really good. You, she'd be amazing on the gig. And Mark actually always used to say to him, can't stand sax players. Uh, they get right on my nerves. I really don't like them. I do not want another. I don't want a sax player on the gig. So so that was how it kind of went on. Anyway, as luck would have it, <laughs> um, we used to do this residency at a place called Le Corum in Barnsley. Mm-hmm. I think it was like once a month. And it turned out that the residency the nights that we were on head candy was also doing a night but we were getting booked by the club and also the club were booking head candy so it was quite an interesting partnership so anyway one of these head candy nights um mark happened to be on one of the gigs and i was obviously there and and i do always say this to him because i i I, i'm it was a moment that I will never forget when after the gig, he did actually come into the room and he got on his knees going, please come and play for us, <laughs> which I thought was amazing. I was like, I, if only we had phones back then yeah, as much yeah. as we do now, I'd have definitely videoed that. Um, but yeah, and that was it. That was the beginning of the Head Candy Partnership. And that was back in 2004, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, 2005 was actually my very next time back to Ibiza after my initial intro to it and that was to play the head candy closing party at el divino in in 2005 yeah so and that was the kind of the beginning of my thing i mean actually it was it was a terrible night there was a horrific storm there were buckets all over the club catching the drips um the canopies out the back were blowing a hooli <laughs> i thought they were going to take off and i had a horrendous migraine and had forgotten to bring any painkillers so I, I spent most of the night actually in the dancers room curled up with this horrific headache it must have obviously now I look back must have been something to do with the storm or the pressure maybe mm-hmm. um but uh and then I, I kind of woke up at about half five in the morning and I felt great I was like it's gone I can actually play now so I ended up getting on the stage I think for about the last hour or so <laughs> <laughs> so that was that was my second intro to Vita. but then I decided the next year 2006 I was going to come back for a couple of weeks for an actual I'd say a working holiday. It was kind of holiday with another couple of girls. We we got a big flat together. Um, well, a little hotel room we shared. And I had a few gigs um, just as a bit of pocket money, really, for that trip. Yeah, yeah. Um, 
that was back in the day when in bed with space was was going on mm -hmm. that's when the clubs were actually open 24 yeah. hours and obviously yeah. didn't shut at six i mean yeah god crazy but yeah. and then 2007 i said right i'm going to come back for three weeks and then at the end of 2007 i remember saying okay i'm going to come back next year for the whole summer I don't know how I'm going to do it. I don't know where I'm going to stay. I don't know what I'm going to do, but I have to be here for mm -hmm. a whole summer. And that, yeah. but actually at the end of 2007, I met Ben, who was already living here. Right. Okay. How did that first meeting go? It was quite an interesting one. He was playing in Bass Bar around mm -hmm. Ibiza Port. Mm -hmm. He was the resident there every evening. And I happened to walk in there with my two girlfriends at the time. We were um, chatting, having a good time, walked in. He was playing and they were like, hi, Ben. Hi, Ben. And I was like, Ben? I was like, Who, who's this guy? Why do I not know him? Like, he's a DJ as well. It was ridiculous. And they were like, you don't know Ben? Mm. Like, this is this is Ben Santiago. And I was like, oh, hi. And then we sort of immediately kind of had a bit of a connection. Mm -hmm. And then uh, and then we realised, he went, you're, you're, you're Laura, aren't you? are lovely Laura. You're the sax girl. And I was like. Yeah. And then it suddenly dawned on me. We had a mutual friend, a mutual Spanish friend called Jose, who, funnily enough, he'd been telling me about this English guy in Ibiza saying, you two would really get on. You really need to meet. And yet and he'd also been telling Ben about me, this English girl who plays the saxophone. You'd really get on. You should really meet. Yeah. Um, and it kind of just hit us. We were like, oh, my God, you're the guy that you're Jose's friend. Yeah. And we're like, yeah, oh, no way. And then we chatted for a bit and it was it was an immediate connection. And then mm -hmm. interestingly enough, that next week we kind of kept bumping into each other. He would be DJing somewhere. I'd I'd walk in and he'd be there. I'd be like, oh, my God, it's you again. <laughs> um, and we just ended up chatting and we just hit it off and mm. we, we kind of swapped numbers. I was obviously going back to England for the rest of the summer, but then I was going to come out for the closing party for Head Candy at the end of that year. And pretty much as soon as I landed, he messaged me and went, do you fancy going out for dinner this evening before the gig? Mm -hmm. um, so we did. And it was lovely. I mean, yeah, it was the beginning of <laughs> definitely <laughs> something there. Um, and then we kind of hit it, hit, it, hit it up. I think he came over to London in was it the January of 2008? Mm -hmm. um, and so I went up to London and, and had a lovely day or two with him there. And then I think that's when we realised there, this is something, there's there's something going on here. Yeah. And he said, look, why don't you come out to Ibiza for a couple of weeks in February? And let's, that was almost like the, the trial period, I think. If we could live together for two weeks, mm -hmm. we knew that yeah. it would work. And, and that then I would come back and we'd get a place together for mm, that yeah. summer of 2008. Um, and it did, thankfully. <laughs> we got really well. <laughs> we fell in love. And the rest is history. And we got we got a little pad in a beef town in 2008, um, which was brilliant. He was doing his little gig. So he'd zip about on his scooter and do what he was doing. I had my weekly residency with Head County El Divino, which was amazing. I used to catch the little boat across the ferry to yeah. get, you know, the little <laughs> to get to the club. <laughs> oh, it, was, it was a great summer that. And then yeah. actually there was another great club in um in Ibiza town. Not so much a club, it was more a live live music venue called Teatro Pereira. Mm -hmm. And they used to have like they had a house resident band every night that would play just covers really rock, pop soul funk all sorts and the musicians were incredible like everyone that the guy picked to form this band they were outstanding musicians yeah. um and i remember going in there and just loving it and i went i'd love to come and jam so i i actually ended up coming in the, go, playing in there i think two 
three nights a week as well. So it was quite a cool summer, yeah. 2008. It was it was a gentle introduction to Ibiza. And when was the... So at that point, you were on kind of separate paths in terms of, like you said, Ben was doing his DJ thing and you were doing your own thing as mm. well. Where Where was it decided, like, okay, were you kind of circling around each other thinking... Should we combine our talents and do what I've been doing, you know, in Leeds and throughout that, you know, vibing with other DJs? Were you a bit frightened of making that leap or was it always just a natural progression between the two of you? Do you know what? I think it was a bit of an organic thing. I think both of us got offered a gig. I think it it was a private event at a villa party in Ibiza by an agent here and they said look what would be really nice if if Ben you could play and and Laura if you could just play some saxophone through dinner that would be really nice Mm. so that's I think that was the first time we actually ever played together and it really worked and I think it was only when we did it that we then realized wow we could really make something of this because because we know each other so well we we kind of almost can instead of this turning into a bit of an improv session, like it usually does when you turn up, you don't know what the DJ is going to play, you jam along and you kind of hope it goes all right. Mm. Um, we can actually talk about the set beforehand and do you like that tune? Do you like that tune? How about playing to this one? And so almost that was the, I think the initial beginning where we thought, gosh, we could do this together. Mm-hmm. Like actually we could work together, but it, it was odd how we hadn't really thought about it up until that point. It was only getting booked to do this event that made us realise actually we could do this together. And actually there was another one I think we, we got around that time, um, another private, I think it was a private birthday party that ended up, I mean, there were all sorts of people there uh, <laughs> and also Domenico Dolce from Dolce & Gabbana, no who 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 happened to come up and introduce himself? I didn't. I mean, I mean, gosh, it's just, just <laughs> the people on my fashion degree back in the day would be turning their grades now. That, could, uh, yeah. Who, yeah, exactly. <laughs> you don't know who Domenico Dolce is. I mean, are you Dolce & Gabbana? But I don't know the faces of people. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm probably the worst person I could be introduced to whoever, and I haven't got a clue who they are. But I was. He came up. And he was introduced himself. I'm so and so from Dolce & Gabbana. I think you're amazing. I'd love you to come and play. I'd, we've got some shows coming. Up. And I was like, oh, that would be wonderful. Yeah, okay, thank you. And and then he came up at the end, and he said, just do you have a card? Like, remember, I'm so-and-so from Dolce & Gabbana. And I think he repeated it because I think he thought, have you not got a card? <laughs> you know, <laughs> I <laughs> Yeah, exactly. And I, I was like, oh, I love it. I said, I'll tell you what, I'll go and get you a card. And I just got a business card and I gave him the card. And then I remember saying to Ben, I went, he he repeated his name again. I said, I think, I, I think he's someone quite important, actually. And we went back and then, of course, we Googled <laughs> don't you the band and we're like oh bloody hell I'm sorry I should swear but oh my god I can't believe it it's <laughs> it's Dolce it's Domenico Dolce but uh wow. yeah so so from that that was quite um uh th- that was a good <laughs> that was a that was a good start as well for both of us because yeah. we ended up getting booked to play for their boutiques in London in mm-hmm. China we did a bit of a in Italy um wow. did a few fashion weeks so again it kind of started that whole initial idea, I guess, of working together. Um, So, yeah, and from then, I guess, yeah, it sort of, it it, it spiralled from there, I suppose. 
Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. I'm thinking of we're all living, well, we all have lived through lockdown, you know, being cooped up with our other halves and whatever. You know, mm. some people probably listening will think they'd find it really challenging to work with their other half, especially over the past 18 months we've had. Um, how is it for you guys? Is it uh, is it a breeze just because you're so well connected to each other or is it, you know, a bit bumpy here and there in terms of managing conflict or I like this, I want to play this, I'm not sure about it, I can't do anything with it. How do you work those things out and work together? We do actually get on. Uh, we, we get on very well. Um, I don't think, we, we rarely have arguments actually. I mean, I guess here quite often Ben will work be in one room on his laptop I'll be in the other room on my laptop and um, so we we do still quite live separate lives and yet we come together for sort of lunches and dinners and and whatnot during the day but we we do really get on we have a good understanding of each other I think we can tell when the other one needs a bit of space and we just give them a wide berth. <laughs> um, but we, but we never, we never, we, we do kind of really understand and respect each other very well. We're very fortunate. We say nearly every day to each other, how lucky we are that we met each other hmm. um, because we do get each other. We do understand each other. And it's incredible that we can actually work together. I mean, yes, you're right. Sometimes it can get intense when you're working and you're living and, and with your partner, you're, you're pretty much spending 24 sevens with them and it can get intense. But I think you you if you're both mature enough and, and understand the situation, you can you can give each other space when you feel the other person needs space. And mm-hmm. and, it, and it works. I, I, I 
think I think we're I think we're a good we're a really good team actually. I think when it comes to music, um, it works well as well. Ben obviously gets sent lots of promos as a DJ, and he listens to music. I think he's got now an idea of what I like to play to, um, but also he has to like it as well. And and now and again, yeah, I'll, I'll, <laughs> I will admit there'll be a track that I'm like, oh my god, I love this track, and I'll play it to Ben, and he's like, what? <laughs> I'm not playing that. <laughs> so I'm like, all right, so we'll bin that, and vice versa. So he'll come to me with something and go, wow, this track's doing really well. Um, it's getting a lot of hype and blah, blah, blah. And I'll listen to it. And I just think, well, I can't add anything to that. I can't mm. add any sax to that. I'd actually ruin it. So no, I don't really want to play to it. Um, so it has to work for both of us. But quite often the system is he'll get sent promos if he thinks it's good. He'll send it to me. Go, how do you feel about playing on this? I'll have a listen, have a little jam if it works. I'm like, yeah, do you know what? This, this is cool. We, we could play to this. Mm. Um, and then he'll bung it in his little set list on his um laptop and then mm -hmm. he can move stuff over to his usb for gigs but i mean one thing that he's very um adamant about and will not do <laughs> is do, do a planned set mm -hmm. that's something that he really will not do he says i'm not going to go to that point where we turn up to every gig and we play exactly the same track in exactly the same order and he said I just can't do that he said you know and I do understand that we do sometimes have a battle with that because of course for me that would be mm. fantastic because mm. I would know when you're out front and you're performing and you're giving it all the you know the live thing and the lights are on you you need to have that inner confidence to know mm. right what's the next track going to be when is it going to get dropped I'm already with the key I know what it is and I know what the riff is and I know where to play where not to play so it, it's quite nice having that luxury but yeah. I fully understand where he's coming from in in the you know wherever you go you have a different crowd sometimes you can have a young crowd and they want more contemporary stuff sometimes you have an older crowd they want more classics so you do have to have a kind of bit of flexibility you can't kind of go around and play exactly the same set it's quite nice to just bend it now and again you know what we would play at Ibiza Rocks is not what we would play at Mambo for example we yeah. it would be you've just got a different crowd so it's so sometimes we we might have the odd little battle over a over a track, but normally we um, unite yeah, yeah. <laughs> in love. <laughs> <laughs> and are, there, are there any moments where you know? I suppose he's. It sounds like he's very much in charge of that side of that that side of things. Are there any moments when you're both together on stage and you're like? Come on, Ben, stick this one. I think we should stick this one on. And he has to make oh, yeah. a choice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've done that a couple of times. I'll go over to him if I'm if I'm if I'm listening on the side, and I think, oh, do you know what that that would do? I see maybe some of the girls react to something. And I think, do you know what they would love that tune? And I'll go up and I go, have you got such and such? And he kind of looks at me as if to say, look, who's DJing here? <laughs> I'm like, I know, I know what you're saying. But um, I do love it if he then plays it and it goes off. I think, yes. Yeah, <laughs> but um, but no, he's he's actually very, very good. He's he's very good at reading the crowd mm. and seeing where they want to go. Yeah. Um, so it's yeah, it, it's it's good. I mean, yeah, it's good. We 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 work well together, I think. I mean, we did have a battle for a while with the whole whole Jubel thing yeah. by Kling Gandhi. Mm -hmm. Um because obviously that was a, well, that all started back in 2014 when a video of me at Ocean Beach playing it happened to go viral. Mm -hmm. And I think everybody jumped on it thinking mm -hmm. that I actually was the saxophonist in the track, which of course I'm not. Yeah. Um, 
it's the amazing Snake Davis <laughs> um, <laughs> who does the saxophone in that. But of course, after that went viral, Kling Gandhi actually got in touch with me directly and said, look, I, I love all this. Do you fancy coming and doing some gigs with me? So that's, I think maybe people saw us working together and thinking, ah, you know, it kind of all started there. But so yeah. that was a big track in our recent history, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Um and we we obviously had to include that in all our sets for quite a while. And then I think after about three, four years, we well, we started seeing a bit of negativity on the Internet because unfortunately people there's lots of positives about having a video go viral or people seeing you play something. But then the negatives of that are you get the trollers that come on going, oh, here she is. One trick pony. She can only play this one song. She can't play anything else. Um, so once we started seeing those comments, Ben said, right, that's it. We're taking Jubel out of the set. We're not yeah. going to play it anymore because everyone always gets their phones out yeah. when you play it because, yeah. of course, they want that memory on their phone. But, of course, that's the one that they upload to the Internet. Yeah. And, of course, that's the one that people who don't come to the gigs and don't see that actually I can play other tunes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, they just see that video and think, all right, you know, that's all she can play. So well, we took it out of the set for a while, uh, but we realized it was, that was a very bad <laughs> mistake <laughs> because people would just be screaming at us from the dance floor. Jubel, when are you going to play Jubel? And I'd look at Ben and I'd sort of like tentatively say to him, I think we're going to have to play Jubel. And he's like, I'm not playing it. I'm not playing it. No, nope, we're not going there. And and, we, and there was a few gigs where we didn't do it, mm. but actually it broke my heart because there was some girls um, on, on some of the gigs that were like, we've, we've just come to see you play that, you know? And I thought, for goodness sake, for the sake of three minutes of a track, yeah, yeah. can you know, we need to play this. So we actually decided, you know, it doesn't matter if those videos go up, what trollers say, can't be bothered, not reading negativity, negative stuff anymore. We're just yeah. going to add it to the set because they're paying to come and see us and they want us to, to, to play this track. It's as simple as that. You have to yeah. give them what they want because ultimately if it wasn't for them, we wouldn't be doing <laughs> what yeah. we're doing. Yeah, we had um, I had a very similar conversation with uh, Matt from Medusa, one of, ah, one of our yes. previous episodes. Yeah, about um, yes. piece of your heart. It's a very similar of thing course. in terms of them performing. And you know, he was like, even if I've played it in the set two or three times, sometimes he was like, that will have to be the last tune because otherwise you'll get that mm. negative, almost like a negative reaction that you haven't played it. It's a very yeah. difficult yeah. line to to balance, I think. Yeah, exactly. You yeah. have to, you have to. But it's yeah. funny how you go through this little journey to get there, but you realise in the end, you, you just, you just have to. But yeah. I actually love it. I actually love it. It is a it's banger. A I mean, you, <laughs> you and Ben, between yourselves, you have produced quite a few anthems as well. I mean, I'm thinking of Just Want Your Body and Summer Love. Um, I mean, what's the feeling when you're playing your own material on stage? Is the crowd reaction, is it elevated because it's your own or are you just happy to be giving like sharing this music i think it it of course makes you feel it's a lovely reward when people sing back the lyrics of your song and they're or they're singing back the horn line i don't think there's anything quite like that and yeah it, it means a lot when they request those certain ones i mean it's funny yeah summer love we 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 don't play that often but it's it's quite interesting how many times that gets requested mm. uh i mean i think I, I don't think in all honesty the last few years ben and i have been that productive in the studio we haven't we, we did quite well we just want your body and summer love but then pretty much at the point of those coming out 
we just had so many gigs and we were on the road constantly. We didn't have five minutes to start an idea, get it finished and get it released. Yeah. We quite often would take the January and February off in the year and we'd start the ideas, but they'd get so far and then touring would start and they never get finished. So actually, I mean, coming on to the whole COVID thing this past year, it's been quite a blessing in some mm. ways because mm-hmm. it's made us just ground ourselves, stay at home, get in the studio and just start going back to some of these ideas with a, a lot less pressure, certainly for time. You know, we can just sit there, listen to them and let things grow naturally um, as opposed to thinking, oh, my God, we've got to start touring in two weeks. We haven't got, oh, we need to get this done now. And as, as soon as you start applying that pressure to yourself, you might as well forget it. For me, definitely, I'm not great with, with stuff like that. I just feel like I need to get into the zone, enjoy it, be freely creative instead of putting this pressure on but but yeah so actually we're quite excited about this next year because we've been working quite hard in the studio this last year so mm-hmm. we've got a few few little belters up our sleeve <laughs> so can't wait to actually start getting out and playing them once everything starts going back we've got some yeah some nice nice ideas good, good. <laughs> we just need to get them finished we, we are quite um we, we're, we, we kind of start the idea and, and it starts going really well and we're like yeah brilliant we've pretty much got that and then we'll move on to something else then we start getting something else and then all of a sudden we've got this army of unfinished tracks that we need to so this is what we're kind of trying to focus on now we're kind of going back to each one and going right let's just get this finished let's yeah, yeah. you know let's let's get this to a stage where we're happy it's ready to be mixed and mastered bosh done next let's get that one finished so that it's kind of a very methodical process we need to go to but we just get very easily distracted both of us um and i think we're just living such a lovely life here that there never seems to be this um huge pressure on us to come on you gotta get tracks finished uh so it's it's nice life is good life is good i mean yeah living in ibiza i can't imagine life being much better really um you know we've already talked about your first visit and your journey towards moving there when you decided to make that move did you like permanently was this okay this is going to be the most important thing I can do if I want to exist in the dance music scene? Did you think that it's absolutely crucial that you live in Ibiza or was it just, I love this island and, you know, I can do my work anywhere in the world, but I can still live here? Yeah, I'm more the latter, mm-hmm. I would say. When I moved here, I just realised how beautiful this place was and just the air quality, the just the, the way of the style of living, the way of living, it was very relaxed. There was no urgency, no stress. I mean, on one hand, that's lovely. But on the other hand, you know, once you do move here and you do have to get jobs done, it can be extremely frustrating <laughs> <laughs> with their very manana attitude. Um, but and the, God, and the bureaucracy that goes into it as well, trying mm. to get forms done and this and that. But I think initially... Of course, I loved the music and I realised that, wow, these gigs were incredible out here. You're playing to such a diverse audience that you're not going to get this anywhere else in the world. That's what I felt at the time. Obviously, I met Ben. Ben was a massive factor in Mm. the fact that he had moved here, I think, two years before I came, came out and he had already stated this was his home. Like he's so he was so happy here. Um, And so I thought, well, if we're going to be together, he's clearly not moving back to England. So 
<laughs> I've only got one choice here. I'm going to have to move to Ibiza, um, which is not a problem. And, and and actually, I can't remember the first year. Oh, the first year probably would have been 2009 because we were quite quick. Once we initially got together, we had our first summer together, 2008 here. Mm. And then we got offered uh, an, a, a great <clears throat> gig in Mexico, in Tulum, in the February of 2009. Uh, and it was whilst we were there that Ben proposed. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then pretty much... By April, we'd bought a house. I'd sold my house in Leeds. Um, ben was looking to buy a house as well. So we put our money together and then we got our little place here in 2009. So pretty much I committed before I really even thought whether it was going to work or not <laughs> work-wise. It was a bit of a risk, actually. I mean, thankfully it paid off. But I did think, right, OK, I'm going to do this first winter and see if promoters are happy to fly me from Ibiza Mm -hmm. to wherever to do the gigs Mm -hmm. and if they are then I've got my answer and phew a sigh of relief if not then I'm gonna have to seriously think about the future because I can't obviously just sit here and start living a life of retirement (laughs) in my 30s (laughs) it's ridiculous um so um but thankfully yeah promoters were they were happy to pay the extra flights and it wasn't too bad about that time actually was when Ibiza started doing direct flights I think that's when the Mm -hmm. Ryanair thing kicked off Mm -hmm. and they were doing those winter direct flights which was fantastic because then at least you didn't have to do the the double legger going via Madrid or Barcelona yeah so it, it I think well no thinking about it definitely I moved here more for the quality of life Mm -hmm. and the the beauty of the island and obviously because I'd met my future husband as well and he was so happy here and we thought you know what this could be a really nice contented life and Mm. I mean just thankfully music is is a huge part of our lives it's our career it's our work our livelihood and it and it it's uh the style of music that we're involved with is you know massive (laughs) (laughs) yeah so it's like the the heart of it what was it like on the island in 2020 during the pandemic was it everything just blissfully slowed down and no tourism or you know just take us through that feeling very strange driving through san antonio in the middle of august was very surreal it was obviously scorchio temperature Mm. but it looked like you were in the middle of january here there was just not a soul about you know normally at sunset time when people are walking down to see the sunset it's just nobody it was it was like a ghost town i mean i didn't get over to play denbosa but i did hear from a lot of people it was pretty much the same there Mm -hmm. um so yeah it was a very surreal experience but actually quite nice as well and I think the island really needed Mm -hmm. this I think it needed a bit of a breather um I mean it goes through so much every summer so it was quite nice that you know the planes stopped flying and the the people didn't come and the beaches could breathe and the oceans could breathe you know the yachts weren't churning out their rubbish into the ocean as Mm -hmm. they do every July August um it was it was quite nice and and actually it's I mean, I don't know about this summer, but it's kind of looking that it won't be too much different this summer either, Mm. which I think is a gift to the island, really. I mean, it gives so much to everyone every year. I think it's the least we can do is just, you know what, give it a bit of a breather (laughs) and it just recoup a bit. Yeah, there's a, you know, it's like Glastonbury as well. There's a reason that every few years they'll have like a fallow year to let the land and the the farmyard recover. Um, You know, why not be able to do it? Well, you know, 
you're never going to be able to do it officially with a beta but a pandemic put paid to that it's fantastic yeah it does have that benefit yeah. of now being able to recover nature maybe stepped in <laughs> two years in a row yeah no. yeah exactly you just mentioned the uh, the season oh, I agree as well I think that you know this season will be curtailed somewhat and there will be mm. some kind of restrictions in place whatever those are we we're yet to see but um mm. what what do you think um how do you think clubbing institutions on the island might change um, during this upcoming season? Do you think there will be socially distanced things or more like live streaming things or maybe clubs mm. remaining closed? What do you reckon? I mean, it's really difficult to say because it's changing all the time, isn't it? The rules and regulations and this pan- this pandemic, the, the virus, it just keeps, it, it's all over the place. You mm. know, what you think is the set path all of a sudden can you know make a dog leg one side and you're off down another path and you're like oh right okay so what we thought was going to happen now isn't going to happen or or it could be the reverse you know you think that's not going to happen and suddenly we're back on track mm-hmm. um i mean funnily enough yesterday i was during the day i was having a bit of a conversation with someone that it, it's not looking that rosy and then last night i hear news that the balearics i think are going to open up because their numbers are so low mm-hmm. they're going to open up to the uk as long as people that come from the uk have had a negative test or vaccine or whatever um so uh, you know within 24 hours well no that was in a day (laughs) what i was saying in the morning was completely different to what i was saying in the evening so i have no idea what's going to be happening in june i think we we just don't know at the moment i mean i think clubbing wise open air venues will probably open i mean already restaurant terraces here have opened mm-hmm. um, and i think they're going to start increasing their hours uh, maybe in a couple of weeks something like that i'm not quite sure exactly when but it looks like you know slowly slowly they're opening up but i think the i think the likes of the abitha rocks and the ocean beaches they will be able to open because of course they're an open air venue I'm not so sure about dance floors. I think that's taking it a step too far, maybe mm. at the moment. Who's who's to know though by September? It's quite possible, you know, if numbers are great all around Europe, which I don't know that they will be because they can't seem to get their act together with the vaccines, but um, the UK is smashing it. It's incredible. But if, if, you know, we can keep numbers down, then maybe we might be allowed a dance floor by September. But I think from what I'm seeing with venues, I think maybe they're filling more their dance floors with day beds, Mm -hmm. trying to keep people that come over in their bubbles. Um, Indoor clubs at the moment are a no-no, definitely. There's no sign of them on the horizon. So I don't know. I mean, again, if things change by September, they might be able to, but again, we just don't know, do we? It's, it's no. so difficult to try to predict. It's such an unpredictable time. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think certainly for this year, we're not back to norm. Definitely yeah. not. It's going to be still a bit restrained, a little bit held back. But I don't know. I mean, you know, looking at England, they're selling out festival tickets in hours. <laughs> and and I'm hearing they're not socially distanced either. So I'm like, wow, it's it's almost like, my goodness, I can't get my head around it. Fingers crossed. Mm. Um, and I just mentioned about live DJ sets and streaming during this um, pandemic period. Have you and Ben participated in any of that and what's that been like for you or have you tried to keep it arm's length because you just want you want an audience interaction yeah it's we we did actually do a couple of live streams last year I think when it all started kicking in and then I think oh we did another one for New Year's Eve Mm -hmm. we went over to the Beach Star and and set up 
a little phone there and got the lights going and had a bit of a New Year's Eve party, the two of us. <laughs> but, um, do you know what is difficult? There's no question about it. There is nothing like being in the room with the crowd and mm-hmm. high-fiving them and seeing the joy on their faces and seeing them smile, seeing them laugh, seeing them cry sometimes, singing at the top of their voices, arms in the air. I miss that so much. And I really can't wait for that to come back. And I, I think I'm going to have to be a lot more patient because I don't think it's any time immediately soon. Mm-hmm. But I just hope we get there at some point because I, yeah, there's there's nothing quite like it. I For me, the magic is maybe this takes me right back full circle to how it all started. It's the jamming, it's the improv, it's the whole live feel. Um, I want to say living life on the edge. I'm not living life on the edge, but playing life on the edge, mm-hmm. quite literally. A record comes on, you jam it. It's always going to sound different. You never quite know. It's not going to be a repeat of something before. And I just feel this whole live element is something I've I've definitely missed. To the point, I'll be very honest, um, I've hit some pretty low points in the last year where mm. I've even questioned uh, whether to go down a different path, which yeah. is very strange considering that saxophone has always been my life. But I've not had um, the passion to pick up the saxophone. It's odd because yeah. I've seen many other musicians and vocalists and whatnot, they they're loving doing the live stream thing. They're loving to play. And, and actually that at the minute, the social media is your shop window. Yeah. But it's funny. I, for me, I, I almost need to be with the people and, and I struggle quite a lot with um, this way of <laughs> kind of reaching out to people. Uh, so I think I've got a lot of learning to do and a lot of evolving to do, because I think looking into the future, that is where that's where we are going um, and I can't always rely on just being with people and hugging people and playing live with people. And mm. so, yeah, it's it's been it's been quite tough because I, a few times I've thought if that doesn't come back for me, the magic of what I do has gone. Yeah. Actually, I love music and I love playing as in, you know, getting on the piano, making some chords and maybe writing some bits. But performing there is nothing compared to performing in a live venue with people there as opposed to doing a live stream but it's odd I mean I say that because you know then we'll do a live stream and you see the comments and people are like thank you so much for doing that I've got you playing in my lounge or we're out in the garden having a few drinks and and it's like wow you know yeah you you are still doing it people are out there but it's funny being here in our little house in this little island in the middle of nowhere (laughs) you just feel quite isolated (laughs) you feel like everything's just come to a grinding halt it's it's mad it's mad and yeah it's it's heartening to know that there's an audience there I mean I think maybe the future will hold some kind of streaming element combined with the live element so when you are playing live Mm. somewhere that will be then the people that couldn't make it there could perhaps participate at home somehow I hope um something yeah, like that could be the future and now we move on to the to the playlist the five tracks that we get all of our guests uh, to choose yes. for our spotify perfect playlist and we always want to start off with a catalyst tune a track that originally got you into dance music or house music um and this one for you it might not necessarily have a sax on it but it's definitely got one of the most recognisable piano hooks in house music on it what what is it and why have you chosen it i have chosen well interestingly enough I know I was going through this yesterday it was and I don't think I've written it down funnily enough but I do know 
that I chose playing with knives, I yeah. think, didn't I? Playing yeah. with knives by... Bizarre it? Ink. Bizarre Ink. Crumbs, sorry. I, that's, I didn't write it. I, I, I was going through it yesterday. I listened to so much music yesterday. My head was just all over the place. But I, I wanted to go back to a time where I was a bit stuck, actually, between playing with knives, Bizarre Ink, or Move Your Body by Expansions, because mm-hmm. I, I also do remember there were there were two times of, of, of hearing both these tracks. But in the end, I went with playing with knives, because every time I hear it, I just feel so euphoric and I just want to get on a dance floor and just lose myself. Um, I think it's just that piano. And, and of course, coming from the piano background, I mm. love those piano chords. And mm-hmm. I used to always try and imitate those chords on the piano when I was a kid. Uh, I, I, I remember, I think it was a, a friend of mine at school. She got dropped off to my house by her boyfriend at the time. She was much more older and grown up than me. And he had this music blaring out of his car and, and it was playing with knives and also Move Your Body mm-hmm. by Expansions. And I, I remember hearing these going, what is this music? Like, this is incredible. Like, you know, and of course he was telling me and I, and I never forgot it. It was just imprinted in my brain. And then eventually I started going clubbing and it was, you know, DJs were playing it. And I mm-hmm. think it was at that point that I thought, wow, you know, they'd play this music and I just had this inner urge. I couldn't kind of sit still. I just had to get on the dance floor. Um, and then they'd come back to, I don't know, some mainstream pop something. And I'd be like, okay, yeah, fine. I'll, or, or rock. I never really got rock, mm. interestingly enough. It was more the, yeah, the dance, funk, soul. Like that would that would get me on the dance floor. So, yeah, so that's why I chose Playing With Knives, Bizarre Ink, because it takes me back to that first time when I was, well, yeah, early teens, I think. Was I? Yeah, ninety, early 90s. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Brilliant time for music, actually, then, I think, mm. um, the early 90s. Yeah, everything mm. changing so much with all the technology and the influences and the sampling and everything. Yeah, it's such a great yeah. um, creative time, definitely. Um, and we've already, a floor filler, we've already kind of mentioned it as well, had a bit of <laughs> chat about it. Um, what What have you chosen? And if there's anything more to add to what you've already said about it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I think there is no other tune that, uh, at this stage of my life that I could say it would have to be Jubel by Klingandi. You know, when we're on a gig, we that track just erupts the venue. So that is unquestionably at the moment, probably the biggest floor filler that I would play on a gig. But if, if, if everyone was outside smoking or whatever, we'd put Jubel on and, oh, the fags are out, the drinks are gone, they're on the dance floor, the, the phones are out. <laughs> it's brilliant. So, uh, yeah, definitely that's the floor filler. That's what you want. That's what you want. Yeah, when someone's put down yeah. their drink, that's you a know, good it's, one. You know, it's a good one. It's on. <laughs> cool. And um, uh, we had a um, chat about a sunsetter. We had some back and forth on this because this is particularly, like, oh. interestingly... There, this is, seems to always be the one that, you know, people choose and someone's maybe already chosen it, particularly in the Sunsetter. So I always like to try and say, OK, well, some that's already in the playlist. If you're fine with that, we can talk about it. But if not, you've got a chance to choose something else. And then, you know, third time lucky, we got to where we got to. And, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we did, didn't we? <laughs> Brilliant. But I yeah, know so... my first choice obviously was the At the River mm. uh, by Groove Armada. I think Norman Cook chose that for, for, for the Did playlist. He? Yeah, so you know, that makes it okay, yeah. I suppose. It, to me, it is like that comes on, the trombone comes in and mm. the strings, and, and just that's it. You're sat at Mambo watching the sunset for me. It's a deep sigh of satisfaction when you mm. hear that tune come on. Um, so, yeah, that was my first one. The next one 
when I realised that had gone, I thought, right, it's got to be Everybody Loves the Sunshine by Roy Ayers. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, who I love. I, I saw him live and I absolutely, God, he just mm. gets me. I, yeah. I can't stop moving to him. But of course, that had gone. So in the end, I thought, right, I'm going to have to choose something that I know nobody <laughs> is going to have got this one. <laughs> <laughs> so I came back eventually with... Um, Stan Getz's version of Moonlight in Vermont. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, there are two versions that he's played to this. So it has to be this one particular version, which I think uh, is off the Reflections album, isn't it? Yes. We we found. Mm -hmm. But it's one of those saxophones. I mean, Stan Getz is one of my favourite saxophonists anyway. He Mm -hmm. just plays with so much feeling and soul and gentleness. You know, he you get some saxophonists that, you know, blare it out and have aggression and he just has this lovely lyrical way um, of playing and his version of Moonlight in Vermont is this particular one how he's redone the chords um, for the first part is stunning and actually it kind of wells makes me well up a little bit it's it's lovely so I thought yeah you know what if I had a nice cheeky cocktail in my hand and I was watching the sunset I'd definitely be happy listening to this. And, um, you know, you talk, you just mentioned welling up as well. The next one it is the tearjerker. Any track that makes you well up beyond Stan Getz? What, what have you chosen? Ah, uh, Well, I eventually chose Another Star by Stevie Wonder. Mm-hmm. Um, mainly, be, well, actually anything that Stevie Wonder sings, I just burst into tears. Uh, he just moves me to another level. I just have to hear him sing a couple of words and that's it. I'm, I've am i melted. Uh, ben actually, <laughs> as a surprise present a few years ago, bought tickets for us to fly to New York and see him perform in Madison Square Gardens. And it was incredible. I mean, it was quite funny because I did spend the whole concert just crying. I mean, I was just not, you know, sillily crying, but just I was so moved by everything he did, his singers, his band, him. Mm-hmm. And he was just there. I could see him. I could put my hand out and well, I couldn't. I wasn't that close and touch him, but he was there. And by the end of the concert, I actually felt quite ashamed because I had eyes like golf balls. They were all red, <laughs> tear stained. And we were chatting to these people next to us. And I just thought, God, they must think I'm an absolute weirdo but um he is he's just something else stevie his voice is is i yeah every time i hear him i i will just cry (laughs) i can't help it i just do so i chose another star uh because um it's actually it's a very upbeat Mm -hmm. uplifting tune but actually the lyrics are quite deeply sad Mm -hmm. um so i thought that was quite uh a, a good choice from his huge catalogue yeah. um, of, of songs to use as my tearjerker. Yeah, yeah, perfect choice. Yeah, great. I did see him um, a couple of years ago in Hyde Park as well. And the man is just oh, a legend, gosh. league of his own. Um, and yeah. he's being supported by Lionel Richie. Like when you've got Lionel Richie as oh, your my support word. act, <laughs> you know, you're, you're pretty good. Yeah. yeah. So, um, and okay, a last tune, the crowd are asking for one more. What do you stick on the deck? This is another tricky one. This is why I was getting myself in such a tears yesterday <laughs> looking at all the tunes. I was like, there's just too much to choose from. I don't know what to do here. To try and limit it to one tune is so hard. Mm. Um, if we're on a gig and we haven't already played Jubel, mm-hmm. um, we would probably do Jubel because, mm-hmm. of course, it it is the floor filler. It it um, It's really what they want to hear. So that would be the one more. If we have already played that, 
um we quite often like to especially at mambo take it down a different path and just play something a bit different come away from you know full intense house for a moment and maybe do something like all night long mm-hmm. um by lionel richie or teardrops uh by womack and womack everywhere by fleetwood mac um then i was stuck because another personal favorite of mine is somebody else's guy by jocelyn brown because i just hear that ah <laughs> come in and i'm like yes and all the girls get their handbags in a little circle and we're on the dance floor and having an amazing time um so I was really stuck. Has anyone requested any of these yet? No, no, none of Really? Those. So I could yeah. go for could, anyone. Could any of those, yeah. It, I, I'm torn actually between Everywhere by Fleetwood mm-hmm. or or Jocelyn. Should have thought about this before. What shall I do? People, what shall I do? Help <laughs> me out here. I don't know what to do. I mean... Um, you don't have to decide right now. What you could do, okay. we could leave it hanging <laughs> and I could email you in like June when this is going to go out and you could decide and you'll have 10 more I to could decide from. then. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah, exactly. That's the only problem. Do you know what? I, I'm going to actually make a choice now. I'm And the reason I'm going to I'm going to choose this one is because we actually saw these guys perform, oh, was it 2019? I think they came and did a, a concert at Wembley um Fleetwood Mac I'm gonna go with everywhere Fleetwood Mac because when they did start when when they started playing this I mean the stadium erupted of course it would do uh so I have a very very good memory of that and actually also there's been a lot of documentaries on them the last year through COVID I've been watching uh so yeah for that alone Jocelyn, I'm sorry. I'll come back to you another day. But for my final last tune, I'm going to go everywhere Fleetwood Mac. Brilliant choice. Yeah, when that first tinkle comes in from the very beginning, yeah. it is spine tingling. Yeah. And the chorus. I yeah, mean, it's just so happy, isn't yeah, it? And yeah. elating. Yeah. So one final question. Um, we always wrap up with this question, which is um, we are house culture and you are part of the culture and the scene. Um, what does it mean to you, the whole culture of the scene? And what has it brought you in your life? And what excites you about it, about the future? Oh, that's an interesting question. House culture is my life, I guess. God, I need to think about this one. I'll tell you what, you could just sum it up the way you just said it. Is if it's your life and that's a summation, then that's enough maybe maybe it is maybe I don't need to go into a great long description I mean I'm very good at going into long descriptions but (laughs) I just think it brings so much joy and happiness to so many people I think it unites people yeah it just brings so much positivity it's certainly unknowingly brought positivity to me and it's changed my life around um and certainly without it I'm not quite sure where I would be or what I would be doing right now so yeah it's it's I'm going to go back to exactly what my first few words were house culture is my life (laughs) perfect well that's brilliant place to to end on no that's um really fantastic thank you for taking part in the podcast thank you so much for asking me absolute pleasure big love (laughs) see you later bye-bye house culture That was great, wasn't it? Lovely Laura, well and truly living up to her name there. 
thanks so much for taking part and to you for listening. Now, I know you're going to dig this because Laura is currently giving back to her fans by performing a series of sax jams that you can view on her Instagram. Honestly, they're awesome and they should hopefully be enough to satisfy anyone's appetite for a bit of sax alongside their house music. However, if you prefer your music more live than virtual, make sure you keep your eyes peeled for some very special gigs from Laura coming up in the UK. Fingers crossed for those. You also heard Laura select some incredible tracks for our ever-growing House Culture Perfect playlist that you can find on Spotify. This epically eclectic selection of tunes has taken submissions from every single one of our previous podcast guests. Seek it out by searching for House Culture Perfect playlist on Spotify, stick it on shuffle and turn it up loud. With that as your soundtrack, please help support this podcast by loving, liking, tweeting, sharing and rating or reviewing us on Apple had some fantastic feedback already so if you say something good it will not only help us to continue to create these episodes that you love listening to we could also get you a shout out on a future one as well this time around i'm calling out to one of the voices of house music the supremely talented ms b who got in touch on instagram to say that she loved our chat with berlin-based techno icon anya schneider thanks so much for the positive comments b i hope you're enjoying the rest of this season so far as well And if you want to join us at House Culture from wherever you might be in the world right now, please hit up our Instagram feed at housecultureNet or follow the hashtag TrueHouseCulture. Not only will you be kept fully informed about the podcast, you'll also get connected with other beat lovers from across the globe. And finally, if you want to get in touch with me, Matt Rouse, you can do it directly on Instagram at DJMattRouse. Thanks for listening. Stay safe and see you next time. culture. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.